Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. We ask, Lord, now as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say to us. Lord, we thank you for your love and your grace and your infinite mercy. We thank you that you've adopted us into your family, that we're born again, that we're new creations in Christ, that you filled us with your Holy Spirit. Your Holy Spirit, a down payment on heaven, the promise of eternal life. We thank you, Lord, that we have that promise that when we close our eyes on earth, we're going to open them up in glory. And we long for that day. But until then, Lord, help us to remain faithful with whatever amount of time we have left here. Whether you come and take us home or, or our lives come to an end on this planet, Lord, we're thankful that we know that what's coming is far better. Lord, we ask as we go to your word that, your, again, your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. That it would not be the words of man, but the word of God. Give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. amen. So catching you up again, remember Chronicles is a letter written to those who had been in captivity in Babylon for 70 years. So many of them have never been in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was laid waste when uh, the Babylonians came in. You know, it's during that time that people like Daniel got taken captive, right? So they've been gone for 70 years, and now they're coming back into Jerusalem. And the chronicler is basically giving them a history lesson, letting them know this is what was taking place in Jerusalem and in Israel, and this was God's plan, and this was God's hand upon the land that you're going back to. And First Chronicles focuses mainly on King David, when we get to Second Chronicles pretty soon here in a few weeks, uh, it focus moves more towards Solomon. And so last week, as we are again coming to the end of First Chronicles, King David is trying to get his life in order. King David knows his time is short, and he's focused on preparing his son to be the new king and trying to keep the main thing the main thing, as my dad used to say. Because here's what was happening. Most kings, when they were dying, they'd be worried about, they would be worried about how well they were remembered or how many buildings had their name on it. Or, you know, they would want their sons, uh, the, the ones that would follow after them to compl- uh, you know, conquer more of their enemies. David doesn't talk about any of that. His entire focus is, that Israel draw closer to the Lord and that his son Solomon would be faithful to build the temple and to honor God in everything he said and did. And I think that's a great example for us to follow. If I could have any, you know, gift from God and he says, you can have anything you want, I would want my kids to love God more than I do. I want my grandkids to love God more than I do. I want that next generation to have a passionate love for the Lord. And we need to pour into them that that might be true. So his focus, again, was on the Lord, building his temple, glorifying his name, keeping not only his sons, but Israel's eyes upon the Lord. And the, the message last week was leaving a lasting legacy, living a life that continues to impact the world after we're gone. We talked about preparing our children, surrounding them with others that faithfully walk with the Lord, ministering to the Lord, and then being willing to serve wherever you are needed. We're going to see in tonight's text, he's going to continue to focus on order. You know, one of the things that makes it really clear to me that a church is outside of God's will or even someone's life is outside of God's will, is when their lives are chaotic. Have you ever gone, have you ever seen like a church service on TV and it looks like there's a circus in town? You know, it's just out of control and people are yelling and screaming and running up and down the aisles with flags and waving banners and doing backflips and getting drunk in the spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the author of confusion, amen? And so our God is a God of order. And so that's, David's heart here is he wants to make sure that there's order in what is coming after him. You know, we will see again through this chapter tonight, putting people in their places of calling. If I haven't done this to you yet, I must have just been asleep because I almost ask everybody, if I get 10 minutes with you at some point, I'm going to ask you, what has God called you to do and how can I help you? Because if God's saved you, then God's got a calling on your life. Amen. And I want, to, I want to encourage you any way that I can. And I want to help you any way that I can use the gifts God's given you for his glory. And my encouragement, any way that we can help you do that, we want to help you do that. And again, they want to put 
people in places of calling. That's part of David's order tonight. To keep the main thing the main thing. The Holy Spirit, again, not the author of confusion. And I've had people tell me, and we're going to kind of squash that tonight with tonight's text. And I've heard this in the last couple of weeks, two or three times. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter where you serve. It doesn't matter what you do. Because in the end, God's going to do what God's going to do with you or without you. So just do whatever you want. I've got some people that want me to take a church in Hawaii, and they're using that mentality. Well, just come live in paradise, because the same people will get saved, whether you're in Hawaii or you're in Thousand Oaks. It doesn't make any difference. And, and you know, there's this mentality. And again, is God sovereign? What's the answer? Of course he is. Does God know what he's doing? Of course he does. Do we save people? No, God does. But does God use us? What's the answer? He does. And the whole point is we want to be where God wants us to be. We want to be in the center of God's will. And I don't want to be anywhere else than where God wants me to be. Amen to that? And we're going to see that in tonight's text, that God has a clear plan for individuals, and he has a plan for us. And again, I, I've heard that so many times. By the way, the people that always tell you that are usually doing nothing for the kingdom of God. They'll say, it doesn't matter where you live, it doesn't matter what you do, because the same, I said, well, it certainly doesn't matter in your life, because you're not doing anything for the kingdom of God. And they don't like that very much, but don't open up that can unless you want some of it, amen? But while it's absolutely true that God is sovereign and in control, he still chooses to use us. He still has a place for you, a place for your family, a place where he wants you to, maybe early on when you get here, just, just be here, just grow, just, you know, just love on the people that are here. But then over time as you're here, God will stir you up and gives you, give you gifts and use you if you will let him. He is a God of order and a passion for every believer should be to walk in the center of God's will. David is finishing strong. He's setting things in order before he goes. And as I said earlier, we too as parents should want to do that with our, the generations that follow us. Having dealt with some of the Levites, David is now going to turn to the priest. So in the previous chapter, he was dealing with some of the Levites. He was getting things in order. In tonight's text, he's going to deal with the priest. He's going to deal with some more of the Levites as well. And he's going to put things in order, but we're going to see that God is the one who, or, who orders it, not David. So if you have your outline, grab it. And I tell the message, God wants to use you for his glory. God wants to use you for his glory. Four points. The church functions best when we all use our gifts. Everybody here has gifts. And I, I would be, I'd be shocked if any of you only had one. More often than not, we have multiple gifts, and some are very practical. You know, praise God for people who come and set up chairs and get things ready and get the sound up and do all the stuff that we need. Praise God for people who come and open the gates. And praise God for the people who clean up around here. Praise God for the people who serve in the children's ministry. Praise God for the people. There's so many ministry people that do hospitality or just welcome people in the back and hand them an outline. And, you know, if the church functions when we're all using our gifts. And my prayer for all of us is we wouldn't miss out on what God has for us. Ministry, as you'll see, there is never meant to be a few ministering to the many, but sadly, that's how it often is. We're to approach the Lord with reverence and humility. We'll see that in tonight's text. God wants our worship to come from a clear mind. We're going to see that some worship took place. We're going to see a flashback into Leviticus, where uh, one of the high priests, Eli's sons, got lit up, got drunk, and then went into the Holy of Holies and brought in some incense and what did God do to them? Who remembers? He set them on fire. He burned them alive. He killed them. God doesn't want us. We, we cannot enter into the presence of God if we don't come there again with reverence and brokenness. Amen? And they, they, mocked what the, they were mocking the cross without even knowing what they were doing. A lack of godly fear will lead us to pride, irreverence, foolishness, and recklessness. Take heed lest you fall. Point number two, God places us where he wants to use us. Now, I'm not just saying this because all these U-Hauls are leaving California in droves. And every time I turn around, someone else is moving. If God wants you to move, by all means, move. But that being said... May we be moved by the Holy Spirit, not by our circumstances. Amen? Amen? And especially when you're a part of a healthy fellowship and you've got a good 
family, you know, Christian family around you, and you're growing in your walk with the Lord. And too often, the enemy will do everything he can to distract you and to draw you away. And I'm not saying anybody who's left has done that in error, but too often when I talk to people and I say, What's, why are you leaving? It's not, well, the Lord, to, you know, I spent time and I fasted and I prayed and I sought the Lord and God's opened up a ministry for me to be involved in in Texas. It's, I got a house for $100 down there with 5,000 acres and a lake, you know what I mean? And so it's not the moving of the Holy Spirit, it's, it's uh, responding to Zillow, right? But God places where he wants us, and God has sovereignly called us to live where we live, to fellowship where we fellowship, and to use our gifts right where we are. Now, I will say this openly. If God told my wife and I to move to China tomorrow, we would get up and go. But I would know, I'd want to hear from the Lord, not my circumstances. Amen? And we're going to see that God has placed us where we are for such a time as this. God placed us upon the earth. Here's another thing I hear a lot. Boy, wouldn't it be great to live like in the 1950s when the world was more wholesome? Well, the answer is, yeah, probably would be. But that's not where God put us. God put us here to be salt and light to this generation. Amen? And so we're on the planet for such a time as this, and we don't want to miss it. For such a time as this, again, we've been placed upon the earth, led by the Holy Spirit. Don't be moved by your circumstances. Number three, while we're not all called to the same thing, we're all called. Sometimes people will envy someone else's gift. And I want to tell you, here's the reality. If I tried to, to have the same gift that the worship team has, it would be painful for you and for me. Because I'm not called to do that. And the reality is when we try to be something other than what God has called us to be, it becomes a drudgery. It becomes difficult. When we're serving the Lord where he's called us to serve, it's a get to and not a have to. Amen? I talk to people that go, you've been a pastor 34 years. How many messages do you think you've taught? I said, oh, probably between 3,500 and 4,000. Like, well, how much study time? About 25 hours apiece. That means you've been studying. I said, yeah, God knew I need to be in the Bible a lot because I'm a knucklehead. Amen? But the point is that for them, that sounds insane. But for me, it's a get to. I can't believe I get to do this. But it's because it's what God has called me to do. Amen? And when God calls you to do it, it's not drudgery. It's a joy. We're not all called to do the same thing, but we are called. And don't envy someone else's gift. Just be faithful to use the gift he's given you. And sometimes he may start using this gift. And then as you continue to grow in your walk with the Lord, he may use you in more ways. And then finally... And I love this. We had a lot of evidence of this tonight during worship. God uses the young and old alike. Amen? We're going to see in this last verse that they're going to have this, uh, they're going to draw lots for who serves where, and they're going to just put everybody all together, the young and old alike, and whoever gets, whoever gets pulled on this, you know, this casting of lots, they got a calling upon their life, and they're going to go serve. And you know what? I think it's good because I think any church that is either all old, older people or all younger people is not healthy. Because the older people can bless the younger people with their experience and their maturity. Amen? But the older people get blessed by the younger people by just seeing how excited they are about the Lord. I can rejuvenate the older people in the church. Amen? And so I think it's healthy when we have an older people and younger people alike. And by the way, pray for the Conejo Valley. I have three or four pastor friends that they'll tell me they don't have anybody in their churches under 70. Nobody. And those churches are dying slowly and they don't know what to do. And, and again, Lord help us not to get so you know, caught up in just doing the same thing we've always done that we're not able to reach that next generation. So let's begin there in 1 Chronicles 24. God wants to use you for his glory, beginning there in verse 1. Now, these are the divisions of the sons of Aaron. Now, who is Aaron? Who's Aaron? Moses' brother. And Aaron is, is what position does he hold? He, he's the great high priest. He's the high priest. He was the one that could enter into the Holy of Holies. He was the one that God, you know, used. He was kind of Moses' mouthpiece in some ways. Remember when Moses was called, he was a stutterer. And, and so all the high priests had to come through the line of Aaron. So all priests were Levites, but not all Levites were priests. But even within the priest, there was only one line where you could have a high priest that would come from. Now, all the priests that served were, of, were Levites, but they were Kohathites. 
They were through the line of Kohath, one of Aaron's sons. So it's later down from Aaron. So we're going to see in tonight's text that while some are, they're all Levites and they have a calling upon their lives, and some of them are priests and some of them are not. So the divisions of, of, of the sons of Aaron, what David is going to do now is to divide up all the priests and set up a rotating schedule. This is interesting. Do you know that this continued all the way until the time of Jesus? And here's what happened. As they came and finally had, the, had a temple that had the tabernacle forever, and now they were finally in a temple, this is what they did. They gathered all the priests together, they, we're going to see it tonight's text. They cast lots. And then as they pulled the lots out with the name of the people that would serve at that time, everybody served for about two weeks. Each of the priests would serve in the temple for two weeks. The only one who was there throughout the year was the high priest. The rest of them would serve faithfully for two weeks and then go back and minister to their families and then the next year would come back and serve for two weeks and then go minister to their families. And what he was doing when they were casting lots, they were setting in order who would serve and who would serve when. Now, what I love about this is it took the priests from being those who only served in the temple to, pre to priests who were now raising families. Priests who were now working jobs and serving. So they weren't just men of God because they served in the temple. They were men of God everywhere they went. And they had a percentage of time that was set apart to dedicate completely and fully to serving the Lord. And this, I think, completely wipes out any thought that anybody ever had that priests were supposed to be celibate. Show me that verse in the Bible, by the way. And how's that working out, by the way? Not so good. And, and so here's the reality is I, I think a man of God and a woman of God, people of God, we need to be able to be people who serve in a practical way in the body of Christ, but we also need to be people who have a godly family and a godly marriage and a godly home and a, a workplace where we go to be salt and light, where we minister to the world. We're not called to be monks. We don't go sit up on a mountaintop somewhere and contemplate our navel until the Lord comes back, amen? We don't isolate ourselves, right? We're, we're, what do we do? We're, we're to be engaged, but we're not to be isolated. And so the church functions best when we all use our gifts and here they're going to, he's going to raise up these priests. They're all going to be put in positions. And we all take part, not only in serving in the local church, but, but being faithful to your family, uh, being faithful to take part of the Great Commission. Who's the Great Commission for? When Jesus said it, he's ascending into heaven, what does he say? Go therefore into all the world and do what? Make, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Who's he talking to? All of us. You know what? You're the only Jesus some people are ever going to see. The place where you work, when you show up, the Holy Spirit enters the building. The neighborhood you live in, you're salt and light of that neighborhood. I love going to the grocery store. My wife likes to buy stuff on Instacart. I, I go, babe, you're, you're taking my mission field away. You got to knock that off. Because I love going to the grocery store. Because every time I go, I pray in the parking lot for five minutes. Lord, give me a chance to share my faith with somebody in the grocery store. And every time I go to the grocery store, I get to share my faith with somebody. So those are our mission fields, amen? We're called to be salt and light. We don't just hide in the bunker, right? We don't, we don't just put a wall around the church and stay away from the world. We minister to the world but have no fellowship with it. So to implement this plan, David's going to enlist Zadok and Himelech. Let's see there. It says there, the sons of Aaron were Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. So he had four sons, and there's only going to be lines through two of them. We'll see that in just a moment. So Zadok was one of Aaron's sons through a uh, descendant of Aaron's son, Eleazar, who's mentioned here. And Ahimelech was a descendant of Aaron's son through Ithamar. So he had four sons, Nadab, Abihu, Ithamar, and Eleazar. Now, why do you, why, there's only going to see two that have a line going behind them. Why is that? Well, because, look at verse 2. And Nadab and Abihu died before their father, and had no children, therefore Eleazar and Ithamar ministered as parents. Now, if you don't remember this, back in Leviticus chapter 9, we have an, an account of Moses and Aaron setting up the tabernacle for the very first time. And when they set it up, as they were wandering through the wilderness, the, the presence of Almighty God came down on the tabernacle. 
And it was a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud. Pillar of fire by now and a cloud by day. And when they would wake up in the morning, if you'll remember, they were encamped in the shape of a cross. Now, they had no idea what the cross was, but when, they, when, when Almighty God looked down on his people, they were marching in the shape of a cross, camping in the shape of a cross. So what would happen is when the fire would move or the cloud would move, then they would pick up the tabernacle and they would move it till the fire stopped and then they would put it down. Now, what had happened is this, the presence of the Lord has come. People are excited. People are, are, are happy. They're rejoicing. If the the holy fire came down on this tent right now, I think we'd be pretty fired up. Can I get an amen to that? It was an extremely awesome time, and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, were standing around seeing this happen and decided to take part in it. In Leviticus 10, it says, And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, Either, they both took censers. They were things that were used as a picture of prayer. And it says, and they put fire on them and put incense in them and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not to do. So there was a specific way that God was to be worshiped in the Holy of Holies. It was only to be the high priest, only on the day of atonement. And there were, the, there were specific ways that they were to approach the throne because, again, it was all a picture of Jesus. So what did they do? They just decided they were going to break all the rules, and they didn't use the, the type, of, type of incense they were supposed to use. They didn't come in on the right day, and they were not, at this point, they were sons of the high priest, but they were not the high priest. And then it says in Leviticus, after they did this, it says they brought strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not to do. Then he went out, Then there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. And then Moses said to Aaron, the Lord has spoke, saying, I will be sanctified in them that they come, if they come near me before all people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. Aaron watched his sons disobey God and get struck down by God right in front of him. And now that was an example to everyone else that you can only come to God his way. And that's a message that needs to be preached from the mountaintop today. There's only one way, God said, we can get to heaven, and Jesus is the only way. Amen? So all those others who will try to approach God through their good works or through false prophets or through any other way, they're going to find, they're not going to find a relationship with the Lord, but they're going to find righteous judgment by trying to approach the King of Kings and Lord of Lords apart from the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. It says in Leviticus 10, and the Lord spoke unto Aaron saying, do not drink wine nor strong drink. Now, this is follow-up after what happened. He said, nor thy sons with thee when you go into the tabernacle of congregation, lest you die. So here's what happens. They're giving us a hint why they acted this way. His sons were drunk. So they went out. By the way, everybody goes out, drinks a bunch, uh, alcohol makes a bunch of great decisions, said no one ever. Amen? I went out last night, got liquored up, and made a wise investment. That's not what happens. You, you drink, you act like an idiot, amen, if you're drunk. And so these guys, literally, he had been, they'd already been warned that don't drink alcohol. When you come before the Lord, he wants you to come fully focused on him, amen? He doesn't want you come whipped up by your mouth. He doesn't want you come in your own way. He wants you to come where you're in awe and reverence of him, coming before him humbly, not making demands of him, not acting ridiculous, but coming unto him. He told them that there's a difference between the holy and holy, between the unclean and the clean, that you may teach the children of Israel all the statutes which the Lord has spoken, and again, through, through Moses. And so Aaron had to learn the hard way. Guys, we're to approach the Lord with reverence and humility, and apparently Nadab and Abihu had been getting drunk, and with excitement broke out in their, in their inhibitions were lowered because that's the thing. Here's what happens when you drink alcohol. People call it, or, or you do drugs or anything else like that. You got to be careful, right? Sobriety is, there's never anything against that. Amen. But here's what happens. You make, you dumb down the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You know, we don't need, you've heard me say it a hundred times. We don't need spirits. We have the spirit. Amen. But when you drink spirits, it dumbs down the Holy Spirit. People call it liquid courage. You ever heard that term before? I'm going to get liquored up and go meet some women because I'll be brave. I, liquid courage. I call it liquid stupidity. Amen? 
Because when you do it, again, you cease to have, uh, you know, you just lose your mind and you act in a way that is not becoming, certainly not of a believer. So we approach the Lord with reverence, with a clear mind. He wants our worship to be influenced by nothing other than his presence. You know what? You know, he's enough. Is he enough? When we, when we just think about the Lord, he's enough. He's plenty. Just focusing on him. I don't need anything else to, to draw me close to the Lord, just to look to him. We saw last Sunday that because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, the veil's been torn, and we can come boldly before the throne of grace. We can enter into God's presence anywhere and anytime, but even though that's true, we should still do it with reverence. Amen? And I think we get too flip with God. I hear the way people talk about the Lord, how they talk to the Lord. We need to, tell, we need to come humbly and broken before him. Amen? Does not mean... Again, irreverently, but reverently in holy fear. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, and the lack of godly fear leads to pride, irreverence, foolishness, and recklessness. So notice it says there in verse 2, So they died and had no children. Therefore, Eleazar and Ithamar ministered as priests. So the remaining two sons of Aaron were the ones who all the rest of the priests, all the, all the ones that would serve in the temple, all of them were descendants of those two men of Ithamar and Eleazar. Isn't it sad? All that Nadab and Abihu missed out on because they decided to act irrationally, got liquored up, and then the consequences literally ended up taking their lives. And we live in a time right now where there's nothing new under the sun. The same thing is still happening. Verse three, then it says there, and it's gonna go down in generations, and David uh, with Zadok of the sons of Eleazar. So Eleazar is the time of Moses. Obviously, that's hundreds of years before. One of his descendants was Zadok. And Ahimelech of the sons of Ithamar. So these two sons that came through Aaron, you go down multiple generations, and these are two that are related to those original uh, priests that came from Aaron. They divided them according to the schedule of their service. So there was a time when the two main places of worship were the tabernacle and the ark, and the two line of priests divided themselves between these two places, and Abimelech was the great-great-grandson of Eli. Who remembers who Eli is? Who is he? Who served under Eli? Samuel. You guys remember this? Remember when Hannah comes? She wants to have a child. She's crying out to God. Eli sees her. He thinks she's drunk. She's not. And then he just tells her, God will bless you. And she tells the Lord, if you give me a son, I'll give him back to you. And as soon as Samuel was weaned, he was probably about three years old, he, she brought him back and gave him to Eli. Well, Eli, much like Aaron with Nadab and Abihu, he's going to have another problem with his own sons as well. Uh, Eli's sons, it says in 1 Samuel chapter 2, were sons of Belial, or sons of the devil. It says their sons were corrupt, and they did not know the Lord. And here's what they did. They used to rip people off who came to make sacrifice. People would come and bring their sacrifices, or they would, they would come with, with money to buy sacrifices, and these guys would rip them off. And then what they ended up doing, you want to talk about the ultimate blasphemy, they started bringing prostitutes into the holy of holies and having sex with them in there. You want to talk about the ultimate blasphemy. And Eli was asleep at the switch. Eli wasn't reprimanding them. And it was Samuel, as a young boy who came and told Eli, your sons are going to die, both of them in a single day, because of what you have allowed them to continue to do. And see, this is an exhortation for all of us. We need to love our kids enough to be their parents, even when it's not popular. Amen? They got enough friends, they need parents who will stand up and speak the truth into their lives. Now, they may still choose to do the wrong thing, but we need to make sure not because we're allowing it or condoning it, but because they're acting contrary to the encouragement we give them. We have a real lesson of how important it is for those in ministry, those who represent the Lord, to be holy, to be honoring to the Lord, so people won't come to despise worship. You know what happened? When these guys were ripping people off, when they would come to worship, guess what? They just stopped coming to worship. 
When people, when, when people were being abused by the priest's sons, they would just stay away in droves. And here's the sad part. I, I shared this at the pastor's conference in Hawaii. I taught the chapter here before I went. And I tell the message, compromise the enemy of calling. And we looked at Samson. And one of the things that takes place is when, when people who are called by God compromise, we can drive people away from the Lord. Now, we as believers should not be focused on men. We should focus on God because men will fail us every time and women will fail us. Amen. But don't you, as believers, especially if you're outspoken, anytime a pastor or a Christian musician or an apologist falls, people come tell me, oh, your buddy, did you see what your buddy did? Oh, he's not my buddy. I've never met him. But did you see what he did? That guy, Mr. Apologist, traveling all over the country. Oh, yeah. And he was shacking up with all these women. And he was doing all. And you're like. And the sad part is, so if we're going to call ourselves Christians, we need to be faithful to what we're called. Amen? Now, we're not perfect. And we're sinners saved by grace. But what we don't want to do, because see, if Satan can't take you to hell with him, he will do everything he can to disqualify you from being used for the Lord. And if he can't disqualify you, at the very least, he'll distract you and get you focused on something else so you're ineffective for the kingdom of God. So here we have, in just a few verses, we've been referred to Nadab and Amahu, and now Hophni and Phinehas were their names. How are they doing? They're dead too. They, they died in a single day. They went out to battle. They took the ark with them, thinking that would make God let them win. And what happened? The ark was taken by the Philistines. They got struck down dead. And when the word came to Eli, he was sitting on his chair and he was leaning back in his chair. When he heard that his sons died, he fell over backwards and fell to his death. What people say that there's no good movie material. I'm just telling you right here. This would be heavy duty stuff. Eli knew these things, but he refused to address his boys. He didn't do it. Now, again, I'm not saying we can't love our kids unconditionally, because we should. But at the same time, I think we need to sit down and love them enough to say, look, because I love you, I want what's best for you. Because I love you, I want to speak into your life. Again, this is a solemn lesson for how important it is to learn to discipline our children and not ignore their problems. So later, as a result of cleaning the place out. Solomon removed Ahimelech's dad, Abiathar, from being priest. And in the end, it's all going to come through one line. Now watch what happens. It says there, they divided them according to the schedule of their service. So David took the descendants of Aaron, the priestly families of Israel, and together with Zadok, he divided them into 24 different groups to serve according to the schedule of their service. And what he literally did is they would cast lots. So what they do, more than likely, we don't know for sure because it doesn't tell us here, but more than likely what they did is they wrote down the names of the 24 different groups that were going to serve, and they pulled their names out of a bag and said, you know, and had the name of the head of that family, and then they would get, you know, the first two weeks of the year, the next group would get the next two weeks of the year, and the next group, and so what happened was they made sure that it was all covered, and all the priests had an opportunity to serve. So for those that were serving, it was a blessing. Uh, it was something that they would look forward to. And they would get two weeks where they would get to serve. And it would be a blessing and a joy that they got to go and do that. And then the rest of the year, they would be uh, alongside everyone else. It says in verse 4, there were more leaders found uh, of the sons of Eleazar than of the sons of Ithamar. And they were divided among the sons of Eliezer were 16 heads of their father's houses and eight heads of their father's houses of the sons of Ithamar. So they had 16 basically families or descendants of Eleazar and eight of Ithamar. And what they did is they pulled their names out. Now we're going to see, now this will help you because later on in scripture, uh, you see there's a time when, remember in, who's Zacharias? Who knows who that is? Who's, who's his son? John the Baptist, points. There you go. So John the Baptist, but do you remember when Zacharias was told that his wife was going to have a child? What was he doing? He was serving in the whole, he, it was his turn to go in and the one time in his life he was going to get to make the sacrifice and an angel showed up. Hey bro, you're going to have a baby. Your wife and his wife didn't think so, Amen. But he was told, and they told him that his name would be John. And when he doubted it, remember, he couldn't speak. 
until his son was born. But why was Zacharias in there? Because his lot for his family was cast for those two weeks. See, that's called the sovereign hand of God. Amen? It may seem like it was random on which family served at what time, but we will see in Scripture the different times when people are serving that God had them there for a reason. So when they were pulling out lots all those years before, it was always a part of God's ultimate plan. It's so good to know that God's in control. Isn't that good? Especially right now. Can I get an amen to that? You look around and you think, really? Lord, help. And he's like, I've already got it. I've read the end of the book, God wins. So he makes it, they pull the, the, them out. They're all set. All the priests are using their gifts. And again, many hands make light labor. And they were all given that opportunity. So for that, because of that, they were excited when it was their opportunity to serve that way. Verse 5. It says there, they were divided by lot, one group after another, for there were officials of the sanctuary and officials of the house of God, for the sons of Eleazar and for the sons of Ithamar. So they served in the Lord's house, again, in contrast to civil officials. Some of the Levites were used as local judges. So there would be, because they didn't really have a police force at that time, and, and what they would do, is, and they didn't really have a court system necessarily, so there'd be a dispute, and they would go to that local judge in whatever village they were in, and that person would make the decisions for them. And often those were the Levites that were scattered out amongst the people. So they served in the house of God, but again, at the same time, now it was going to change. They were going to raise families. They were going to serve in their own communities. And again, they were priests, but they were also husbands and fathers and leaders in their homes. And you know what? The high priest was the only one who served year-round and remained in the temple or the tabernacle, if you will. So the truly mature men of God and women of God don't just serve God or their families, they serve both. You cannot be a spiritually mature believer and choose one or the other. We need to love, lead, serve, protect, and care for our families, but we also need to be serving the Lord as well. Amen? And that's what a man or a woman of God does. And God calls us to do that. Again, godly men are men who love, lead, serve, provide, use their gifts, and share their faith. Now, 1 Timothy chapter 3, it bears repeating. Let me just read through this quickly. This should be the heart of every believer. Let me read this just really quickly. This is the, this, these are qualifications for a pastor. Now, there are qualifications, minimum qualifications for pastors, but it should be the heart of every believer. Amen? Here's what it says. Must be blameless. Blameless does not mean sinless or no one would qualify. Blameless means without accusation from the outside. What that means is that nobody, no unbeliever can point at you and say, you're the drunkard or you're the angry guy or you're the guy who rips people off in business. Or, you, know, you're, you live a life that is above reproach. The husband of one wife. Now, some people will interpret that, that if you're ever divorced or if your wife dies, you can never be a pastor. Well, that's ridiculous. That's out of context. It just means that, you know, you're not a polygamist. And then if you have been married and divorced and you had biblical grounds to do so, so it's a husband. It just means that he's a one-woman man. He doesn't have eyes for other women. The number one reason people in ministry fall is because of adultery. You need to be a husband of one wife. Needs to be temperate and sober-minded. It's someone who's calm. It's, not, it's someone who's not easily, you know, angered. Somebody, again, who has, is sober-minded, of good behavior. It just means that uh, they, they do the right thing. It also says that they are hospitable. It's someone who opens up their house. Someone who is charitable. Somebody who is generous, not just with what they have, but with their time. They're approachable. They're available. Uh, able to teach. Now, what I want you to notice here, there's 15 qualifications for a pastor, 14 speak of character, one speaks of gifting. We focus too much on the gifting and not enough on the character, amen? Not given to wine. Again, there's debate on what that means. I believe for pastors, we are never to drink alcohol ever. And by the way, I will err on the side of doing that and I will never regret it. I haven't drank any alcohol in 35 years and haven't missed it one bit. Uh, not violent, the word literally there is not a striker. He's not getting into fights. If your pastor's brawling in the parking lot, not good. It's not, it's not good. Not greedy for money. 
You know, money is just something that we use uh, to provide for our family, but it's not something that we focus on. It's not our passion. It's not a priority. I mean, do your job as unto the Lord and take good care of your family. Notice it says, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetousness. Doesn't want what other people have. One who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. Now that word there, to rule, when, we, when I stepped down as pastor in Santa Cruz, the reason I did is I had three boys who were struggling, and I had been gone for a year in the hospital. And when I came home, I recognized someone else can pastor the church, but only I can be their father. And I needed to go be their dad. But I went and met with Pastor Chuck and, and some other pastors at the conference. Raul Reese was there and a few others. And I told them what was going on. And they're like, Dave, you know, you're not disqualified because your kids are making bad choices. But what it means is, he said, the word to rule in your own house means to govern. And a good governor doesn't mean he never has crime in his state, but how does he respond to it? See, because if it, the guys at the table, Greg Lordy was there. All these guys were at this table, and I was sharing what was going on, and I, I was weighing 138 pounds. I just got out of the hospital. And they're like, bro, we'd all be disqualified. And, and pray for people that serve in ministry because the enemy goes after their kids with both feet. But that being said is, is when you, you don't condone the behavior, you address the behavior, you do everything you can to help them with it, but you certainly don't prop it up. For a man who does not know how to rule in his own house, how can he rule in the house of God? He's not a novice. That means he's not a new believer. Now, there are people that I've seen and I knew a month into knowing them that God had a calling on their life and I still wait. I'll wait years. God ordains people. We don't. We just recognize that God's called them. That's what we do when we ordain people. By the way, we're going to be ordaining somebody here in three weeks who most of you don't know, but he helped plant this church his name's Mike Massey, and then he moved to Texas, and God's using him mightily out there. And um, we've talked, and I said, well, how long did you get ordained? He goes, well, it's never happened. And I said, well, we're your sending church, so we're going to do that in three weeks, so that'll be good. Looking forward to it. But uh, not being puffed up with pride into the same condemnation as the devil, the number one thing that will cause anyone to fall that's serving in ministry is pride. The Bible tells us that pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. What got Nadab and Abihu? Pride. What is it that got Hophni and Phinehas? Pride. What is it that got Satan cast out of heaven? Pride. Amen? And moreover, he must have a good testimony from those who are on the outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. So what's happening in here is, is these guys are being raised up. They're being put into positions of authority. But again, as being put there, they're now being held to a higher level, level of accountability. The Bible says, let not many of you be teachers, lest you be held to a higher level of accountability. Verse 6. And it says, and the scribe Shemei, the son of Nathanael, one of the Levites wrote them down before the king and the leaders, Zadok the priest, Ahimelech the son of Abiatar, the heads of the father's houses and the priests and the Levites, one of the father's houses taken from Eleazar and one from Ithamar. So what he did is he had this bag and he would take one out from the Ithamar bag and say, this guy's got the first two weeks. You take the next one, they've got the next two weeks. And even though it seemed random, God's hand was upon it. Because like I said, Zacharias and others would be where they were because God had foreordained it through his sovereignty. Amen? Now, we don't cast lots anymore. Amen? The last time I see lots being cast in the Bible, I think they blew it. They cast lots to replace Judas. Do you remember that? So Judas, you know, commits suicide. And then they decide we got to replace him right away. And they cast lots and they raise up somebody. And uh, you never see that person mentioned in the Bible ever again. <laughs> and then Paul is referred to as an, a what? An apostle. Amen. And the Bible tells us that the names of the 12 apostles are on pillars in heaven. That's why, by the way, if anybody introduces themselves to me as an apostle, <laughs> I run. I'm like, really, bro? Because do you know one of the qualifications for being an apostle is? You must have seen the risen Savior. Did you know that? But you have people refer, I'm apostle, most holy, potentate, and uh, bishop. They put 47 things in front of their name, reverend, holy, all this stuff, and then stuff after their name. I'm like, wow, God's really lucky to have you on his side, isn't he? What would he do without you? But the reality is that that's pride, amen? So we have... 
The completed revelation, here's why we don't cast lots. We have the Holy Spirit and we have the word of God. Amen? All the way back in this time, they did not have the completed word of God. And the Holy Spirit was only given to be, and do you know this in the Old Testament? Holy Spirit was only given to a few people for a period of time. When we were saved, we were given the Holy Spirit for a lifetime. Thank you, Jesus. Amen? We're the most blessed of all people. You remember David singing a song, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Because the Holy Spirit was poured out. And so in their days, they had different ways of finding the Lord's will. Now we have his word and we have the leading of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And the Holy Spirit can speak to us and direct us. Now from verse 7 all the way down to verse 19, he's just going to talk about who they picked, who they drew, who they drew. Now I'll point you to one of them. Verse 10 it says the seventh to Hakaz and the eighth to Abijah. Now Abijah, one of his descendants, is Zacharias. Zacharias is the father of John the Baptist. And so we see there that God, again, foreordained how the, those things were drawn, who was going to be priest when. You know, like, like I said, the fact that you think you bought your house because that's the house that you wanted, but if you're truly prayed up, God could have put you there for a reason so that you could impact the neighbors around you. Amen? Brandon and Tara met Penny and, and, her, and Clark, right, in your neighborhood, and they've been watching us online. You talk about a divine appointment, Amen? And then they show up and they're usually here sitting in the front row all the time now. But here's the point, that, that wherever we are, recognize that God is sovereign. God has me here for a reason. And he didn't just put me here to be quiet and keep it to myself. The most selfish thing we can do is go to heaven by ourselves. So we can run through the list of names, but as God is sovereign, I believe that God placed them in exactly the time and the place he wanted them to be to bring about his perfect will. And again, Abijah, an interesting example, is the one who would be, again, the, the, one of his descendants was Zechariah, and the birth of John the Baptist would be announced and would take place while Zechariah was serving in the temple because of when this Lot was drawn all those hundreds of years before. So did God know what he was doing when he, when he drew him in verse 10 instead of in verse 12? Because if it had been four weeks later, he wouldn't have been there. See how God works? God knows what he's doing. We can trust in the sovereignty of God. By the way, too, that also means that God allows in his sovereignty the trials that come into our lives as well. I really like the part about God, you know, preordained stuff to make sure I was in the right place so I could have something great happen. But you mean God allowed us to go through trials. Just know this. You've heard me say it a hundred times. Nobody used Miley. In, there's not one person in scripture who used Miley that didn't suffer greatly. So if we want to be used mightily, hold on to your hats. Amen. So God places us where he wants us. We see it here as their names were drawn and, and exactly what God, verse 19, it says, this was the schedule of their service for coming into the house of the Lord according to their ordinance by the hand of Aaron, their father, as the Lord God of Israel had commanded. So each one of them, their names were drawn. It was written down. And do you know that it stayed in that order all the way until the time of Jesus? Hundreds of years later, they were still doing it according to what happened here. So this may just, see, here's what happens. People read through these chapters and they go, hop, 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 and they just, they don't even take the time to figure out why it's in there. If it's in the Bible, it's in there for a reason, amen? See, now I'm convicted. I'm going to read the names because I just went right by them, so now I'm going to read them. <laughs> because I just convicted myself. It says, now the first lot fell, verse 7, Jehoram, and the second to Jedediah, the third to Haram, the fourth to Sorum, the fifth to Malchijah, the sixth to Mijaim, the seventh to Hakaz, the eighth to Abijai. There's uh, John the Baptist, great, 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 great grandfather. The ninth to Joshua, the tenth to Shechaniah, the eleventh to Elshib, the twelfth to Jacob, the thirteenth to Hupa. Hupa. Got him, get him on our basketball team. The 14th was Jesmin. The 15th was Bilga. The 6th was Enmer. The 17th was Hazer. We're going to meet all these people in heaven. I'm looking forward to it. The 18th is Hap Hapaziz. How about that? Those of you having children down the road, you want a biblical name? <laughs> Hapaziz. The 19th, Pethahiah. Uh, then the 20th, 
Jehazakel, the 21st Jashin, the 22nd uh, Gamal, the 23rd Deliah, and the 24th Mazaiah. So God's word is written down for a reason. We see at least one example already, and no doubt if we took some time to historically investigate some of these other people, we would see God tie those things in. Then we move to the third point here, verses 20 to 30, where we're not all called to the same thing we're all called. So now he's going to approach the rest of the Levites. So he's already ordered all the guys who are in the priestly line and say, okay, we've drawn your names, we've drawn your family name, now you guys get these two weeks. And they've laid it all out for the entire year, but what about the rest of the Levites that are not Kohathites, right? There's the Merarites, there's other families. And so now they're going to lay out for them when they serve. Even though they don't get to serve as priests, God still has a calling on their life. So even though you may never be a pastor, or you may not ever lead a Bible study, or you may not be on a worship team, God has a calling for all of us, amen? And so he's going to let them know that just because you're not one of the priests, God still has a calling on your life. Look what it says there in verse 20. And the rest of the sons of Levi, now he's going to give their names, the sons of Amram, Shabael, and of the sons of Shabael and Jadujah, concerning Rahabiah, of the sons of Rahabiah, the first was Isaiah. Now, we're going to go down this list here, and these are all Levites, but they're not priests. So all priests are Levites, but not all Levites are priests. So they're not descendants of Aaron. They're not Kohathites, but they've got a calling upon their life, and God is going to use them. And the way I would almost, almost picture these guys, you know the difference between an elder and a deacon? You see that in the Bible? So an elder is somebody who leads the church spiritually, and a deacon is somebody who serves the church in physical ways. They're the ones that set up the chairs and tear stuff down. They're the ones that serve the people. They're the ones that are available when someone has a, a need and you run over to their house and you help them. And those are the deacons. Now, they're both important. You can't have the church without both. And we don't necessarily uh, identify who those people are, but God knows who they are. And so these are the Levites who were not priests and not all who were called to be priests, but they were all called. And we're not all called to do something that's really visible, but we're all called and every calling is equally important. Amen? While we're all gifted differently, we're all essential parts of the body. We're all needed for the body to function properly. So let me read through those names and we'll look at verse 31 and we'll be done. But it says there in verse 23, the sons of Hebron, Jeriah was the first, Amariah the second, Jeziel the third, Jachameen the fourth. So what was happening was they pulled all the lots for those who were going to serve as priests. And now they're pulling the same ones for the same weeks for those who are going to serve in support of the priests. So again, while someone's called to maybe teach and someone's called to lead worship, we need people to be in supportive roles of all of those things. And they're all equally important. I've told you that one of the first people I'm going to hug when I get to heaven is Mrs. Green. And if you don't know who Mrs. Green is, she was the for the four and five-year-old teacher at the First Baptist Church of Wilmington for almost 40 years. And in 1968, I was in her Sunday school class, and she put up the flannel board and told the story of the cross of Calvary with the flannel board, and then she shared the gospel. And even though I was the senior pastor's son, and I knew about it, it was the first time I understood it. And she said, if you want to give your life to Jesus, raise your hand. I raised my hand. She took me back another little room. She prayed with me. She handed me a little white Bible. And when I got home in the afternoon, I told my dad I'd given my life to Jesus while he was painting the garage. And you know what? She did that for 40 years. And we went to her house to visit her one time. And I walked in and on her fridge, she had a picture of every kid that had been in her classes and she was still praying for all of them. And then she had her own class and I, there was my little picture and she was praying for all of us. Now that's someone who's called to serve, amen? And I believe that front of the line in heaven if there is such a thing, amen? Faithfulness. And so here it is, these guys are called too and, and they're necessary and they're needed in the body of Christ. Verse 24, the sons of Uzael, Micah, and of Micah, Shamir, and of Micah, Isahiah, the sons of Isahiah, Zechariah, 
the sons of Merari, the Merarites, right? Uh, Malil and Mushi and Jazael. Man, good thing we didn't grow up in those times, huh? <laughs> sons of Merari with Jazai and Beno and Shaham and Zakur and Ibri and Mali and Eleazar, who had no sons. Of Kish, the sons of Kish, Jeremiah, also the sons of Mushi were Mali, Eder, and Jehamoth. These were the sons of the Levites according to their families' houses. They also cast lots, just as they did for the brothers and sons of Aaron, in the presence of King David, Zadok, Ahimelech, and the heads of the, fa- the fathers' houses of the priests and the Levites, and the chief father, chief fathers did just as their younger brethren. So here's what happened. They literally put the names in of both young and old. And we're going to see that more in the next verse. And when they drew their names out, they were called, and now was their opportunity to faithfully obey their calling. Here's what I would say to all of us, and I, this is between you and the Lord. What are you called to do? What has God called you to do, and are you doing it? Maybe it's not time yet. Maybe you're you know, uh, if you're newly married, the Bible says to spend a year with your spouse. Uh, there's other reasons where maybe it's not time yet, but I want to encourage you, don't get into a rut where you just become a participant, you become a, uh, you know, somebody who's just watching as opposed to somebody who's involved. Lastly, God uses young and old alike. Look at verse 31. They also cast lots just as their brothers and sons of Aaron did. And this is what the last verse repeated. The presence of King Zadok, the heads of the father's houses, the priests and the Levites, the chief Fathers did just as their younger brethren. So when they would pull it out, they could pull out the name of a 15-year-old kid and then an 80-year-old man. And each one of them would then be able to use their gifts to do ministry. This is a picture of that God is no respecter of persons, that God desires to use all of us. You know, the Bible talks about coming with a childlike faith. I've seen five-year-olds who are better witnesses than some people have been saved for a long time. They all got together, the names of them all together, and thus they divided by lot, and they were all faithfully using their gifts. Age does not determine calling. Close it with this. Age does not determine calling. Look at our worship team. Bunch of high schoolers and Brett. (laughs) I hope not, bro. God uses the young and old alike, and I'm glad. Do you know what I mean? So if, if you're young, don't think that God can't use you. And if you're older, don't think that it's passed you by. Because as long as we're breathing in and out, God still wants to use us. Amen? Blessed God uses both the experience of age and the enthusiasm of youth. The younger can learn from the experience of those that are older, and the older can be rejuvenated by the enthusiasm of youth. I think it's a sign of a healthy church when you have people of all ages, amen? And you know what? And we should all be able to minister to each other, to receive ministry from each other, amen? Because we're all one family. So in closing, God wants to use you for his glory. The church functions best when we all use our gifts. Again, God wants us to come to him clear of mind when we worship. Again, the ministry was never meant to be done by a few for the many, God places us where he wants to use us. So if this is your church home, my prayer is that you would look for an opportunity to serve here. And don't, don't do it out of guilt. Let the Holy Spirit move you and look for something that's a get to, not a have to. And this is what I say often, a burden is the spawning ground of a calling. What does that mean? When you see something and you see that there's a need that nobody else sees, that usually means you're called to do it. People in Santa Cruz stopped asking me stuff because they knew they'd get drafted. I, our church got very large, and people would come up and go, we really need a, we need a married couples ministry. Great, you and your wife are in charge of that. God bless you. When do you want to start it? <laughs> oh, no, I didn't mean that. Well, you noticed it. It's on your heart. God bless you. Amen? But I would encourage you to pray about it. Why, while we are all not called to, say, to do the same thing, we're all called. And, and if there's something that you want to do, and you're kind of afraid to do it, or you're not sure, or you need help, or you, want, you need encouragement, we want to encourage you. We want to help you. We want to see you using the gifts God's given you. And God uses young and old alike. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. You are indeed a great and an awesome God. And I know when you go through genealogies, genealogies like this, it can be tedious. But Lord, we know this chapter is in the Bible for a reason. And we see how the things that were put into place in the time of David 
were still in place in the time of Jesus. And we see how you called people by name and you used different people in different places. And Lord, you're still calling people by name. And Lord, I pray for anybody here that, Lord, they would listen to that still small voice as you may call them. Maybe to start a Bible study at work. Maybe to reach out to a next door neighbor. Maybe to see a ministry that's needed here that's not taking place. Maybe to get involved in the men's or women's study. Whatever it may be, Lord, I just pray that we would not be so tired from doing the things of the world that we don't have any time left for you. May we make you the priority and passion of our lives. And Lord, we know that when you call us, you will sustain us. We know we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. I thank you for everyone who's here tonight. And I, again, I want to just say, just thank you for just the love they have shown our family this last year. What an absolute blessing this church family has been to us. We cannot thank them enough, and I cannot thank you enough for, for putting them into our lives. And we thank you, Lord, that you've got our son and that we're going to see him again. And I'm thankful, for Lord, that you sent your son so I get to see my son again. Lord, we love you, we praise you, we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen.